morning worship is just so rich that uh, I guess in a way I've been preparing to worship all week, so I should get something out of it. But it is amazing to me how the Lord weaves what Brian's prepared, the, salon, the songs that have been selected to kind of carry our thoughts to the Lord and lead us in our worship. And, and then it, it just seems like it's all of one piece with what the, God, what the Lord has been preparing me through the week uh, as I get ready for today. And so it's, it's really rich, rich time. And it was interesting, in the first service, I wanted to share something that I hadn't planned to say, but it was kind of through this interweaving of, of the Spirit's work and the preparation throughout the week and coming this morning and singing some of the songs that I really thought was, is really important to us, and I, I want to stress it to you. I wrote it down in the first service because it kind of came out of this, and <clears throat> the acceptance of Christ. In other words, to accept that you are accepted by Jesus Christ. Not just accepted, although that really does say it all, but in accepting you, He loves you, He adores you. The joy that He has in His own one and only beloved Son, Jesus Christ, is a joy that He takes in you. And to accept that is critical to your Christian life. And I mention that because I think a lot of times, if you're like me, and I hope, I mean, we're, we're both human, so we share a lot in common. And I think that what I go through is probably telltale of the kinds of things maybe you go through. And certainly when I come to worship, I'm aware of the shortcomings in my life. Bad attitude or bad outlook, maybe not a heavenly outlook. I'm aware of my sinfulness. I'm aware of my shortcomings, my frailty, my humanness. I know I fall short. But you see, that is why God, in loving us, sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt that we owe to God's holiness. That means that that acceptance, which He has given His life to win for you and me, that acceptance we have to take to heart. And with it, when we, when we really let it touch our hearts, then there, there has to be that emotional transaction that goes with it. You know, to really let go and enjoy the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. To enjoy that forgiveness. Not bear that grudge against ourselves, but really let the cleansing work of Jesus Christ, let what is past be past, so that then we are open in our hearts to move with God and be available to Him in faith. Not feeling that distance that comes from our sense of unworthiness and our sinfulness. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? I think you all do. I'll just take that by faith. Now here's what I wrote down. Because you see, if we do not take it to heart, we will not stand on our own in the assurance that has been ours and won for us through Jesus Christ. We will not become our own person in the Lord. Why is that important? Because we will cater to the acceptance of others as a substitute. Now just mull that over for a second. If you don't know who you are in the Lord, 
If you do not accept your importance to God, His delight in you, and all those things that, that come with that, we'll seek that acceptance in all of our other relationships and we'll cater to it. We'll pander. And we won't stand strong in the Lord. Now this is relevant to love. And the, what's, got, what's love got to do with it? This series we've got today, next Sunday, and the Sunday after. Next Sunday we'll finish verse 7 and then we'll take verses 8 through 13. But this whole series, what's love got to do with it, is grounded in the fact that love is principled. And I want to just review briefly a few things before we read the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, this morning. We use love in a lot of different ways in our society, don't we? I mean, even I catch myself saying, oh, I love Polish dogs, or I, you know, I love that television show, or we love all kinds of things. But we know that the best kind of love is unconditional love. That's sturdy love. It's predictable. It doesn't cut and run. It doesn't depend on fair weather and right conditions. Because love is principled. When we yearn for the acceptance of others, sometimes we'll do almost anything to get it. But when we're grounded in the love of God and the assurance that He provides, then we start to live a more principled life. Because we're solid and secure in His love. We don't need to be confirmed and encouraged and refreshed and picked up. We don't have have our own sense of worth validated by the love of others. We become a source of love. We become a fountain for the thirsty. We become the love that feeds the hearts of the needy. Because we're grounded in a love that we acknowledge in ourselves it comes from God Himself when we accept the acceptance that has been won for us in Jesus Christ. That's why the highest love is God's love. And that's why Paul and the New Testament writers call God's love agape love. Now you've heard me say that I define agape love this way. You won't hear this anywhere else. God's love, when we are loving others with agape or God's love, we seek God's best for another. We seek God's best for another. And with that in mind, I was reading a a chapter fittingly titled Love in C.S. Lewis' Mere Christianity this week, and some things really jumped out at me that tie in with things that we have spent time talking about that we've derived from this study on love. C.S. Lewis wrote, Love is a state, not of the feelings, but of the will. That state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves. Now just ponder that for a second. We have a state of the will that we have naturally about ourselves, and we need to have we need to learn to have that state of the will 
about other people. Our love, and here he explains, our love for ourselves does not mean that we like ourselves. It means that we wish our own good. See, we natively, we, in a default way, we naturally will what's best for ourselves. Isn't that right? That's a will that we have. And Lewis plays on that very point to show us that we can seek what's best for others just as we seek what's best for ourselves. It's an action of the will. Now this brilliantly put by Lewis, which I think helps tap tap into our own experience, this comes straight from Jesus. Jesus called it the golden rule. He said, treat others as you would have others treat you. James, in his epistle, called this same reality, this same truth, not the golden rule, but the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, Jesus called that the great commandment, the second part of the great commandment. This comes straight from the Lord. But what I want us to understand is it's principled. It's not a state of feelings. It's a state of the will. And it's innate to our own understanding to seek what's best for us. To have a will for our own good. And Jesus, God in Jesus just says, now just turn that around and do that for others. But you say, man, how do I manufacture that? Well, God gives us that will. When He touches our heart with the love that He has for us. When we fathom what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the Spirit not only woos it in our heart, but God gives us that will through the truth. Because love is principled. It's not dependent on an opinion poll or what others think. It's grounded in Jesus Christ and God's love for us. That's why love rejoices with the truth. Because it's a truth doer. C.S. Lewis went on to say, uh, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Behave as if you do. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. I call that faith. I heard an expression when I came to Grace. Someone said, fake it till you feel it. Which kind of sounds like Bob Hope. I was uncomfortable with that word fake. But I knew what, what the person was saying. You step out in faith. You know, I guess I'd want to say faith it till you feel it. And even then it's still faith, but I wasn't comfortable with that word fake. Let me put it in perspective. In a, in, a, in a marriage relationship, there has to come a point when you can tell your spouse what you need and the other person responds, gives you what you need. I'm not talking about pocket money, or, <laughs> but I mean emotionally or affection or time or love or whatever it is. 
Well, Shelley and I got married. I was 20, she was 19. I had a little growing up to do. She was, women are always more mature than men, so I was catching up with her. But we got to that place early in our marriage where Shelley said, I need this from you. And you know what happened to me then? Uh, I mean, I listened. I said, sure. But I withdrew emotionally. It was kind of like, well, if she has to tell me, I'm deficient because I didn't think of it and do it spontaneously. And then I felt inferior and I felt awkward and self-conscious. So if I do it now, then it's manufactured. You know, it's somehow artificial. It's not organic or natural. And I want it to come from me. I want it to be an expression of me. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? And so we get, so I would withdraw. I wouldn't do it. And it was like I was biding my time looking for the right moment. I didn't stop thinking about it. I knew I had to do it, but somehow I had to make it my own. And then when I tried to do it, like she says, you haven't been holding my hand. Well, what about, you know, what happened to Casanova? Now he has to be told by his wife to hold his hand? So I let some time pass. And then I, one day we were walking on, I took her hand. And she immediately noticed. <laughs> like it wasn't the most natural thing in the world. Like I'm not known for being an affectionate, loving man who takes his wife's hand. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> we go through this stuff. Well, you know, out of that experience, and I don't remember whether it was days or... But, Shelley, I, I took her aside one day when I got home. I said, you know, I was thinking today, which is always a good thing to do. <laughs> I said, I've been thinking about this whole thing, and we kind of just rehearsed, and I shared kind of the silliness that I felt, and I thought, you know what it hit me today? Is that as much as I want that, in faith, when I do that, that's the kind of person I really want to be. And God, as I step out, I mean, by putting it into the hands of the Lord, it became real. It didn't become fake, it became real. And, 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 and in talking about it, we, we gave ourselves permission to let the Lord really change our hearts. And I was saying, you know, I had to realize, I had to accept the fact that God really changed my heart about this. All that other stuff was external and about ego. But all the time, I really wanted to hold her hand. I love her. We do that kind of silly stuff. And that's kind of the internal mechanic sometimes that go, goes on with stepping out in faith and trusting the Lord. And we do the same thing when we love others. If we feel distant from the Lord and we haven't accepted the acceptance of God, if we don't realize that He delights in us and He loves us, and whatever we might do that could, in our minds, intervene or create some kind of an obstacle in our relationship with God, some barrier to His love, that's baloney. The cross took care of it. And if you don't think that the cross took care of it, you don't understand the power of Jesus Christ and His death for you. Every obstacle that builds up in your life that creates distance between you and God, His blood is more powerful. There's nothing that should stand between you 
and a vibrant relationship with God. Except maybe the fact that you haven't fully taken it to heart. And maybe like me, God's saying, I'm waiting for you to put your hand in mine. And it's just a matter of stepping out and doing it in faith. And that doesn't, if that doesn't feel comfortable, practice it until it does. You'll grow. You'll see God at work in your life. You'll experience what C.S. Lewis is talking about. This great secret. And when you love, you are loving. Just because you're not carried away by a symphony and chocolates in a heart-shaped box doesn't mean that you aren't loving because love is principled. It's deliberate. It's powerful. And God gives us this will and His Spirit woos it. And His own love awakens it as it comes to take root in our heart. So love does not depend on opinion polls or whether your friends like or dislike the person. When you love in Jesus Christ, you're not going to be wishy-washy like that when love is on the move. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. Don't be nervous. I'm going to move quickly. Say, wow, John, that was a whole sermon right there. Well, that, that was a bonus. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and know all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And then what we're going to look at this morning, bears all things, believes all things. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For in the same way we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love lasts and lasts. Some of you uh, have asked me over the, over the weeks, they've, you've seen this little red wristband, 
And some of you have been bold enough to say, why do, you, why do you wear that? What's it mean? Now for the rest of you who maybe thought it but never thought to ask, why? Why wouldn't you come and talk to me? Are you afraid of me? Do you think I'm going to bite you? Shelley says sometimes I look stern and I need to smile more. So I want to smile at you and say, listen, you can ask me, what's that red thing on your wrist? What's that all about? You need to understand that even when I look stern, inside there is a three-ring circus going on. I am a happy man. I mean, there are clowns, a trapeze, elephants, lion tamers, the whole thing. It is a blast. It's just one lasting festival of joy. So you, you can come up and talk to me. But this, I got in Ecuador we went down there and we spent some of our trip working at a church at 10,000 feet elevation. And not a lick of snow. Can you believe that? That's uh, the, ec- the equator for you. 10,000 feet elevation and we did a lot of work there over a few days. And uh, on the last day, the pastor's wife put these wristbands around our wrist. The name of the church? Romanso de Amor. Haven of love. Why is love a haven? Because it is strong. It protects. It bears. It lasts. That's the point of Paul's... It's eternal. It's the greatest. It never fails. Romanso de amor. That love is what has drawn us to Christ and that's the love that's to typify us. Haven of love. That's Paul's description right here in verse 7. God's love is tried and true. Love is super strong. It always protects. That's the New International Version. The New American Standard Version reads, Love bears all things. I don't know what version you're looking at, but those are both good translations. And you might ask, don't they differ? How could one render it protects always protects, and the other bears all things. Well, that's because they're translating, they're rendering the Greek word stego, which I've written at the top of that slide that is uh, behind me. Stego. It means fundamentally it has two senses, and I'm going to show you how they both work. The word stego has a sense of cover, and it also has the sense of endure. Now, when you think of cover... Think of the word shield, for example. For example, stego is used in examples of, say, a roof that does not allow the rains to penetrate it. It's a shield against the rain. Or a ship. Stego is used to describe a ship that is seaworthy. No matter how the storms pound it and the rains fall, it continues to remain buoyant because it doesn't allow the moisture to invade that wood. Or even a soldier who fends off the attack of others. So cover really comes to suggest protection, shield, and that's why the NIV renders it love always protects. But when you think of bearer, how does that come to play? Well, if something is durable and lasts, you know, we had our roof done, very capable job. It's supposed to last 20 years. 
That's a pretty good roof, wouldn't you say? But toward the end, we might get a little more mileage out of it, but it's eventually going to have to be replaced. But the picture of love is it, with stego is it is durable. It lasts. It endures. It doesn't give up. Now look at some of the ways that cover and endure, protect and bear, can come into play when we think about relationships. In any living relationship, you have to let people in. You have to open your gates. You have to be vulnerable. They may not understand just how vulnerable you're being, but a relationship, intimacy. I mean, to move from a stranger to an acquaintance to a friend requires the give and take of being vulnerable and open or put limits on that relationship. If you don't protect that vulnerability, that relationship will not grow. And love is made to protect those kinds of relationships. For example, uh, I learned that uh, Robertson McQuilkin and his wife Muriel kept a plaque in their living room that read, the, the absent are safe here. And what would happen is if uh, somebody was visiting them and began to talk about a third party, somebody who was not present in maybe a negative way, Robert McQuilkin would just kind of look up at that plaque, perhaps drawing their attention to it, helping them to realize that love protects. In other words, doing it in a deft way without embarrassing his guest, but also protecting the party that wasn't present. Are you the kind of person that in God's love stands strong and protects others, guards their reputation? I love uh, the quote from... William Barclay, he says, it is just possible that this word stego may mean love can cover anything in the sense that it will never drag into the light of day the faults and mistakes of others. It would far rather set about quietly mending things than publicly displaying and rebuking them. Love can bear any insult, any injury, any disappointment. Now think about it. I started off by saying if we're secure and standing in the acceptance and the love of God, we don't need to pander to others. We don't need to trade in gossip at the expense of others to somehow make ourselves something we aren't. We don't need to behave that way. We can defend. We can be strong. We can pour out love that we have from God. We don't have to garner love or get love from others by pandering to them. Does that make sense? It's huge. Or as Al Michaels, the sports commentator, would say, it's huge. Think about, not just with friends, but with strangers. What if the gospel could be communicated 
just by the kind of person you were. Not, not, you are not only with those who are part of your tribe or your clan or your circle of friends where you take care of them, but what if we were to open up like the gospel and say, all are admitted, all are accessible. You can only take a relationship from stranger to acquaintance to friend as they are willing to move with you, but are you the kind of person that protects and bears? Are you the kind of person that loves them with those qualities that come straight from God? I mentioned that second meaning of endure or bear. That is that what is built is to be impenetrable. It's also built to last, to endure, to stand up to all. Shelley hung in there with me like that. The love that protects is strong enough to endure. And I can't even put into words, it would take too long to characterize the the kind of silliness and stupidity of my youth and how she put up with me and hung in there and gave God time to work and grow in me. I mentioned Robert McQuilkin and his wife Muriel earlier. Robert McQuilkin was... A, a significant guy. I mean, he was a president of a college. He was a missionary for 20 years, an author, scholar. I'm not even covering the list. And his wife, she taught, was on radio, television, writer, teacher. In all, they were married 55 years. The last 25 Robert Robertson is his full first name. Robertson McQuilkin was aware that his wife Muriel had Alzheimer's. She never was. The last 13 years of her life, she was totally disabled. And he took care of her. He, he, he withdrew from all of his uh, ministries and activities to devote himself totally to her. Here was a man with his wife who had a plaque in their house that said, you know, we're the kind of people who who love. We protect. But he's also the kind that same love endures. It doesn't cut and run. It doesn't quit when the going gets tough. He married her in 1948 on Valentine's Day. Powerfully, In 1995, after months of no communication, it was Valentine's Day, she woke up. He was riding the exercise bike at the foot of her bed, and she woke up and she said, Love, love, love. He rushed to her bedside, and he said, Muriel, you do love me, don't you? And she said, I'm nice. Which is her way of saying, Yes. He wrote a book, Till Death Do Us Part. Sorry, I got choked up in the first service at this point. For 55 years, Muriel was flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. So it's like a ripping of my flesh and deeper my very bones. But there is also profound gratitude For 10 years, I've delighted in recalling happy memories because it was really 10 years that 
she ceased to, to really communicate anymore. And he remembered all the times that they shared together as he continued to labor and care for her. You see, because love endures. When we say those words, till death do us part, it doesn't mean much to many anymore. It's just fashion or tradition. But those words were originally instituted on the strength and the guarantee of God's love. And His love does prevail. And He said, I still do love her. No regrets. I'm grateful. That's thanks living. That's thanks living. Well, that brings us to love always trusts. How do you trust people? Is, does that mean love is gullible? Does he believe all things? You know, one translation. Does that mean we're just opening ourselves to be taken advantage of? Yes. It does. I don't know how to get around it. At least that's what's factored into my heart. I'm still learning that. But really, we have a perspective that the world doesn't. God is at work in loving. I mean, how else would you ever change the person? I know we live in a world of difficult, complicated people. They're not here today. But you know those high-maintenance people that make life difficult? And it's good that we could get together so I could talk a little about them. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have a perspective that love rides on, that love thrives on. God wins in the end, and He has an incredible vision and plan for people. In fact, C.S. Lewis has a quote. This is C.S. Lewis day in my sermon. I was doing a lot of reading in C.S. Lewis this week, but in his uh, essay, The Weight of Glory, he says, if you could see what that person will be like when God gets through with them, you'd be tempted to worship them. Now, I understand. Some of you get, you know, you want to fall at that point and say, hey, I don't like the, I worship no one but Jesus. But the point is, is that we are being fashioned into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And what Lewis wants us to realize is we need to have that perspective about the difficult people. We need to see God at work in their lives. And we need to love them, not withdraw from them. We need to love them deliberately and principally in a principled way rather than becoming hurt by them. We can continue to trust what God is doing in their lives and be a vehicle of the very love, the only power that will touch and transform them. He says, it may be too much to think of your own potential but not our neighbor's. The point is, see people the way God sees them. Let me conclude with this, uh, this quote. Because you and I can love in the details of our life. I think sometimes we think, again, maybe it's our society, we think that love is for special occasions or high holidays or marriage and anniversaries. But you see, it's for everyday life because it is the way we're to live in Christ 
in every facet of our lives. And so with that in mind, Lewis says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite, you might even say eternal importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. You see, it's an act of faith to love. It's a decision of the will. A will that we have toward ourselves already. But a will that's transformed by a love from above that has so touched our heart And the work of the Spirit so wooed us and awakened in us a love, God's love for us, that we have that compunction. We have that opportunity to love others in the little things. And we'll see the results like C.S. Lewis puts, puts it. We'll live to see that. Our faith will be confirmed. And you'll start to recognize it day in and day out in your life. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close in prayer. And following prayer, uh, as some of you go for the day, take these thoughts with you. Start today. You might have already started thinking about the person next to you. Or the person that's waiting for you at work or at school. The person in your neighborhood. The difficult person. Start walking by faith and loving protecting and bearing and trusting. Let me close in prayer. And This morning, if God has touched your heart on this or some other matter that He's spoken to you about, maybe you want to intercede for prayer in prayer for yourself or for someone who's sick or some situation that you're in the midst of, we invite you to come after I close. I'll be here at the front along with the elders and some of our pastoral staff and we'd, we'd treasure the opportunity to pray with you. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. My prayer, Father, is that this week we might fathom in a personal way your love. That indeed would be a guideline as to how we can love those around us that are difficult and hard. And Father, help us to realize we're spreading the gospel with an attitude and disposition and behavior of love and with the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name we praise and thank you. And all of God's people said, Amen. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.